Well, uh, let me begin today by uh, sharing a story, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to do three categories. Some people are tricky. you got to watch them. This is a story that I read. Uh, I doubt it's veracity, but it's a good one. South Carolina man was stopped by a game warden. He had two ice chests full of live fish in the water, leaving a river well known for its fishing. The game warden said to the man, may I see your fishing license? He said, well, I don't have one. He said, well, that's against the law. He said, well, sir, these are my pet fish. He said, what do you mean pet fish? He said, well, every night said, I take these fish down to the river and I let them swim around for a while. And then I whistle to them and they jump right back into this uh, ice chest. He said, that's nonsense. Fish can't do that. He said, well, my fish do. He said, it's the truth. I'll show you it really works if you want to see it. He said, okay, I just got to see this. He said, okay. He went back down to the river. The man poured the fish into the river and stood and waited. After several minutes, the game warden turned to him and said, Well, he said, Well, what? He said, Aren't you going to call the fish back? He said, What fish? (laughs) Some people are tricky. You got to watch them. And then some of you have not caught that yet. Some people are not tricky. They're smart. Now, this is a true story. True story. Do you remember a lady named Barbara Walters who used to be on 2020? She did a story on gender roles in Afghanistan. Several years before the first Afghan war started, she noted that women customarily walked five paces behind their husbands. Men, keep your mouths closed. Don't say amen on any of this. From Mrs. Walt, Miss Walt, Ms. Walter's vantage point, despite the overthrow of the oppressive Taliban regime, the women now seem to walk even further back uh, from their husbands and seem to be happy to maintain that old custom. She approached one of the Afghan women and asked, Why do you now seem happy with that old custom that you once were so desperately intent to change? This older lady looked at Barbara Walters and with a serious face just said, Landmines. <laughs> some people are smart, and then some people, not so much that way. A lady and a baby came to a local drugstore the other day to weigh the baby that heard they had an infant set of scales. The scales were broken and had been sent out for repair. So the pharmacist said, well, listen, all you got to do is get on the regular scale and weigh yourself and then subtract your weight, the mother's weight, from the, ba- from the overall amount. You'll know how much the baby weighs. She said, well, it won't work. I'm not the mother. I'm the grandmother. Like I said, some people are tricky, some are smart, and some are not. Well, I've begun these series of messages several weeks with stories that show breakdowns in communication. And they're humorous, 
But at some point, there's a seriousness when that breakdown affects one's eternal destiny. Then it gets dead serious, life and death serious. In our passage today, we're going to see where it gets to a very, very serious point. And so turn with me to John 10, 22 through 42, as we continue our study of the Gospel of John. And I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed this study tremendously as we've studied every word in the Gospel of John. It is filled with great scriptural truth, deep theology, great doctrine. We're going to see today's passage is no exception to that. So look with me to John chapter 10, beginning with verse 22. And it begins with these words. Then the feast of the festival or feast of dedication took place in Jerusalem. And it was winter. Now, let me stop right there just for a second. This is two and a half months from the last thing we read. There is a break there. And this is actually almost three months after where we left off in John 10, 21. But John combines these two because in both these instances, Jesus makes reference to him being the good shepherd. So, just wanted to tell you that as we began with verse 22. It's, it's fast-forwarded just a little bit in time. Verse 23, Jesus was walking in the temple complex in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. Then the Jews surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, do you think they asked that because they wanted to know the truth? No. He said, I did tell you, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep. Then verse 27, and by the way, friends, if you're ever going to memorize anything, you want to memorize John 10, 27, and 28, and really 29. So please mark that down as a memory, because, as a memory verse, because Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. The Father and I, we are one. Again, the Jewish leaders, the Jews, picked up rocks to stone him. Jesus replied, I've shown you many good works from the Father. Which of, which of these works are you stoning me for? We aren't stoning you for a good work, Jesus answered, but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered, now look at verse 34. Isn't it written in your law, I said, you are God's, little g? If he called those whom the word of God came to God's and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say you're blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? I'm not doing my Father's works. If I'm not doing my Father's work, don't believe me. But if I'm doing them 
and you don't believe, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And then they were trying again to seize him, yet he eluded their grasp. So he departed again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier, and he remained there. And many came to him and said, John never did a sign, but everything John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Well, thus far in John 10, we've come across two declarations. First of all, what did he say? I am the door. And then he said in the passage that we've just studied previously, I am the good shepherd. And now he comes with the third and to the Jewish religious leaders, the most startling of all the self-declarations where he says, I am the son of God. I am God's son. Again, this occurred some months after the last study, but John did pull them together for the reason I've mentioned. First of all, this morning, I want you to see this encounter with me. In verses 22 through 24, we see an amazing confrontation once again between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders. Now, it occurred at what is called the Festival of Dedication. Anybody know the more common uh, word to describe that? Happens near Christmas every year. Hanukkah. It is the Feast of Dedication. It was the Feast of Dedication. It's become simply the celebration of Hanukkah. And if you speak Hebrew, you have to spit a little bit when you say that. But Hanukkah uh, was a celebration is still a celebration of the rededication of the temple that had been desecrated and destroyed by the Romans. And in 163 B.C., the temple was rededicated and cleansed by a Jewish patriot whose name was Judas Maccabeus, from which we get the phrase the Maccabeans. And in some Bibles, you have 1st and 2nd Maccabees. I've told you, I don't believe they're scriptural, but I do believe they're excellent to read for historical information. You need to read 1st and 2nd Maccabees. Why? Because it tells the story of what happened between Malachi and Matthew. It's a 400-year period of silence. And people don't realize it was a time, one of the few times of Jewish independence ever. And Judas Maccabeus and Judas Hyrcanus and some others were great Jewish patriots, freedom fighters, who won freedom for a short time. But this festival of dedication commemorated that cleansing of the temple. And so during this feast, Jesus finds himself back in Jerusalem. And he is preaching and teaching there in Solomon's colonnade. Now, I should have, I'd have thought of it, I would have, but I should have brought up a picture of what the temple looked like in those days. And most of you think of the, the large edifice that was in the center that comprised the holy place and the holy of holies. But outside that major edifice, there were a number of separate areas 
separated by columns. And various groups of persons, according to who they were, could worship in those areas. Read scripture. Sometimes a guest preacher would preach or teach. And it was an amazing place. There was a place for everyone. There was one called the Court of Israel where Jewish men got to worship. And then there was the Court of Women for Jewish women. And then there was the Court of Gentiles for all the rest of us. But there was a place for everyone in the temple experience. And so he is teaching in Solomon's colonnade this complex area. And it says in verse 24, Then the Jews surrounded him and said, Okay, Jesus, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Tell us. Just give us a yes or no right now. You answer, Are you the Messiah? Now, a lot of skeptics through the years have said, Why didn't he just say yes? Well, he knew their hearts. He knew they were not asking for information, nor were they asking for inspiration. They're looking for a cause legally so that they might kill him. He knew that. He basically said, I've already told you and he didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? So we see the encounter, but now we see the explanation. Look at verse 25 through 36, and we see this lengthy explanation. As Jesus basically says, listen, I've already shown you. I've already told you. So he emphasizes the witness of both his words and his works. You didn't listen to what I said, and you haven't paid attention to what I did. Because if you had listened to either of the two, you would be in my family now. But you're not in my family. In fact, he goes deeper and points out the reason why they did not believe is because they don't belong to him. And so he tells them that they're not his. And in one of the most beautiful passages in all the Word of God, and I do mean that. I know I get teased because I say every week it's my favorite scripture and every scripture is my favorite. I know I get teased about that, but I really mean it about this one. He says some very powerful things here about how he keeps his sheep secure. False shepherds, false prophets don't do that, but he keeps his sheep secure. And so he references the fact that he is the good shepherd again. He points out the ministry of the shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me, verse 27. Now look at me. This is so important because he speaks here about the eternal nature of salvation. We Baptists get teased a lot because we believe in, I told you last week, after the time change, once saved, always saved. That was the joke about time change. But you know we hold as a central tenet of our faith that we believe that once you're truly saved, you're saved forever. Now look at this with me, please. He is telling us here that those who are a part of his flock will never perish. And what does he say? Never. In the Look at verse 28. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. Ever. Now you may have friends that go to church somewhere that tell you you can lose your salvation. 
And a lot of denominations believe that. You, if you sin enough, you're gone. You are lost. But I'm telling you, the Word of God says that if you belong to Jesus, He has you in the palm of His hand. And then He goes on to say, and I'm inside the palm of my Father's hand, and ain't nobody taking them out of my Father's hand. If you belong to Jesus... You have a forever relationship. So he talks here about eternal security. And that's powerful. That's powerful. So please, get to memory. Commit to memory verses 27, 28, and 29. You see, the security of God's sheep is here assured but in several ways. First, by definition. First, it is by definition. What do I mean by that? What's eternal? Till the next time you sin? Eternal is eternal. It is by definition what it is. Eternal life is eternal in duration. It lasts forever. It cannot be conditional and still be eternal. If it is conditional on you, you're in trouble. And I'm in trouble. But it is not conditional upon us he said, I give unto them eternal life. First of all, by definition. Second of all, this life is a gift. And a gift is given. And that promise cannot be broken. And Jesus gives us this gift. It's important to know that he's talking about his sheep, not those who are false. He's talking about those who truly have a faith relationship with him. We were talking about it in Sunday school this morning. Many people say, well, wait a minute. Is it just really that easy? And as I said this morning, the Bible tells us it cost a whole lot to be saved. It cost Jesus his life. So it's free, but it's not cheap. It's simple, but it is not something that one can see, say is some kind of magic incantation. How many times have people said, all you got to do is say you believe. Really, is that all that's involved? No. It is a heart giving. It's a giving of yourself to the Lord as he gives himself to you. It is a transformation. It is a life devoted, yes, but it is a forever relationship. Now also listen carefully. He has a threefold relationship to his sheep. First of all, he has a loving relationship. He has a loving relationship. Jesus died for us sheep. Second, it is a living relationship. He continues to care for us. He doesn't leave us alone. The moment you get saved, he says, bye. No, he has a living relationship in which he daily cares for us. And it is a lasting relationship. It is one that continues on. He says, I'll never leave you ever. He keeps us in that relationship. Well, what he said startled his enemies. Look at verse 30. It was the plain answer that the religious leaders had earlier demanded when he said, I and my father, we are one. We are one. He's not saying he's God the Father. They're one in unity not identity. He is God the Son. He is one with God the Father. 
But then he goes on to really get them all tore up. I'm telling you, Jesus knew how to talk to people. And he uses a reference from Psalm 86, excuse me, 82 verse 6, where he uses an Old Testament word called Elohim, which is the plural form of El, God. And Elohim is sometimes used to speak about God. Sometimes it even refers to human judges. And that's what he's referencing here when he says, if God called human judges gods, then why should they stone him for applying the same title to himself? He got them so, so messed up, they didn't know what to do. I think Chuck Swindoll once said they, he didn't, they didn't know whether to spit or wind their watch. They didn't know what to do. He had them all messed up. But John 10, 36 is the crucial verse because it gives a double affirmation of the deity of Jesus Christ. He says there that the Father has sanctified him, set him apart as the sacrificial lamb. And second, Jesus said, I am the Son of God. And so he drew the line and said, okay, guys, you really want to know who I am? I am the Son of God. Well, they went absolutely nuts. They have had now weeks and months of interaction with him where they have been so frustrated. They are fine trying to find a way that they might do away with our Lord Jesus. And he gives them this real reason. They said, well, we aren't stoning you for a good work, verse 33. We're stoning you for blasphemy. And Jesus once again said, I plead guilty if that's what you're going to call it. I am the Son of God. Now last, quickly, see the invitation. Look at verse 37 through the end. Could these Jewish religious leaders have believed like others were believing? Well, they could have. They could have. They'd have watched what he did or even listened to what he said. He invited them. He urged them to believe. It was simply a matter of examining the evidence honestly and being willing to receive the truth. But they weren't at that point. So they tried to arrest him once more. The Bible says he eluded their grasp. Jesus never, never was afraid of these leaders. He stood toe-to-toe with them over and over and over. But it was not his time yet to be captured and so he was able to just go right through them I don't know what kind of jostling was going on but they were picking up rocks to stone him if you ever go to Israel the one thing they do not have a short supply of it's rocks and stones and so they picked up the rocks to stone him but they were not able to hurt him and the Bible says he went to the place where John had been baptizing now I got to tell you You just can't believe what you see on the internet. I was watching a video the other day, and this wonderful Christian pastor was standing there at the baptismal site uh, just south of the Sea of Galilee where most people get baptized these days. When you go to Israel, if you want to go with me, I'll baptize you in the Jordan River. Now, it's cold, it's cold, it's cold. Did I tell you it's cold? Jake, what is it? It's cold. It's freezing cold because it comes right out of the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. Now, this preacher, I'm sure he was a nice guy. I'm not going to tell you his name. 
But he's standing there acting all professorial. And he said, now this is the place where Jesus was baptized by John. Because we know the depth of the water here would be just right. Well, sir, the reason the depth of the water is like that because there's a dam, right, 300 yards up the road that makes the water this depth and there was no dam there when Jesus and John were there and no this is not where Jesus was baptized no it's a good place to be baptized but it's not where Jesus was baptized but I thought these people are just swallowing that hook line and sinker oh he knows what he's talking about because he acted like he knew what he's talking about but Jesus it says went to the place where John had been baptizing well, if you read the totality of Scripture, you'll see that was east of Jerusalem. That baptismal site I just mentioned is way north of Jerusalem. Jesus was baptized by a place, there's one African-American church I've seen with this name, Bethabara Baptist Church, Bethabara. That's where John was doing the baptizing. And it was somewhere way down on the sea, excuse me, on the Jordan River, down close to the Dead Sea, east of Jerusalem. In fact, even now, it is not a place I would baptize you. But there is a baptismal, Jordan, the country of Jordan, has opened up a baptismal site there. And I've seen many people being baptized there. I will take you to the Israeli side, and you're waving to the Jordanian soldiers with their guns. Hey, hey. But there will be people baptizing there. And that's closer to where Jesus, we don't know exactly where, but it's closer to where this would have occurred. Why would I not baptize you there? The river is not real clean there. Uh, it is primarily a small little creek at that point, and it's filled with all kinds of stuff that we don't need to get into. It's just not a clean place to be baptized. Up Further up, it is. But Jesus went to this place. Well, why did he go there? Well, some say he went there because it was a safe retreat. But we also know he's preparing himself. Because the next time he comes to Jerusalem, it is that week prior to his crucifixion where the triumphal entry occurs. He will not come back to Jerusalem again until it's time for him to die. So he has gone to a place where he and his disciples can pray and prepare for that which he knew was coming. And we know the Bible says there in verse 41, many came to him and said, John never did anything like you've done. But everything he said about you, it's true. Do you remember what John the baptizer said when he saw Jesus coming down? Remember it? We studied it. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of you and you and you and you and you. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Everything you said, John, about this man, it's true. And look at verse 42. And many believed in him there. I simply ask you this morning, have you believed? Have you also believed? Jesus said earlier in this chapter, I am the door. Have you entered into that door? Yes or no? I hope you can say yes. He is the good shepherd. Have you heard his voice and have you trusted him as the good shepherd of your soul? Yes or no? There's no third answer. 
There's no other way. Yes or no? And number three, he is the Son of God. Do you believe that? And in faith, have you submitted to him? Yes or no? It's coming toward the end for our Lord Jesus. He knew it. He lived on a divine timetable. We do too. But he wanted everyone to know that when you become a part of my family and you're my sheep, no one will ever be able to take you away. Because I've got you in the palm of my hand. And it's a strong hand. And I'm in the palm of my father's hand. And it's a strong hand. And no one will ever be able to snatch you out of my hand. Isn't that a great word picture? Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? He's the door. He's the shepherd. He's the son of God. Pray with me. Father God, I pray that every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place does know you. Has said yes in faith to you. Father, I pray for every person that this would be a time of spiritual reflection that we would come to know you in a powerful way. And if we do have that faith relationship, that it would be a growing, ever-intimate relationship. We need that. And we commit our lives anew to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.